Okay, check one, two. That looks all right. Okay, we're there. All right, it's the 15th. 15th of August, 2023. 7.20 in the morning. Let me turn this up just a little bit. All right, still a little bit lower, but it'll it'd be okay. I'll boost it. All right, so it's 20 past 7 in the morning. 15th of August, 2023. Uh, let's talk for a minute about, about where I am philosophically because it's changed quite radically recently. So since the Dance of Shiva conversations that I've been having, well, with myself mostly, uh, but with Lenny Time as well a little bit, so I'm 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 at the boundary between mind and and matter at the moment. I'm at the boundary between the mental and the psychological, philosophical, and the physical, if there is such a thing as the physical. And uh, it occurred to me this morning that that not only are thoughts things, things are thoughts. So you look at it the other way around. You look at the manifested thing and see the thought behind it. And that's why people aren't seeing this. It's because they're looking at things and seeing things. They're not seeing the process that led to the development or the creation of the thing. Because it doesn't just start with the thing. It starts with the thing before the thing. And the thing before the thing before the thing. So eventually you get to the point where somebody had the idea, but then the idea is not personal, it's come from somewhere else. So the idea for the thing before the thing before the thing before the thing is probably based on another thing that's a thing before a thing before a thing before a thing. So there's a lot of complicated interconnections here, but ultimately things are thoughts is what I'm trying to get at. And uh, that's my most recent revelation. So if you do it, if you do it that way around, you look at the world that way around. Things are thoughts, and thoughts are determined by philosophical assumptions. So philosophical assumptions are the filter for the thoughts, and the thoughts determine whatever's created or whatever whatever you filter out of the world so your value system filters in certain things and filters out certain things and that's how that's how people are living in different different versions of the world that's how the that's how the frequency thing works. It works on values. I was listening to somebody who said this yesterday and I went, light bulb moment, right? So it's all about definition of self and values. Because your definition of who you are determines, pretty much determines your values. So this is, this is Robert Diltz. Robert Diltz got it exactly right with the that model of identity and 
and behavior and all that. I can't remember the name of the model, but he got it right. He definitely got it right. And it came that came from uh, anthropological studies. We, again, I can't remember where it came from, but I think I've done a, I think I did a show on, on Robert Dilt's model, the high, the hierarchy of whatever it is. It's a good model. So to me, that's, that's how we've got to look at the world is the frequencies determined by values, values determine your behavior. So the behavior is a frequency ultimately the, the behavior so the the values are a filter so this is this is an audio model it's an audio engineering model to some extent the language is different but the principles are the same you're starting from the the top of a hierarchy with a complete signal and filtering things in and out filtering things out as you go So that's what I wanted to say today. So far, it's only 20 past 7 though, so there's no telling what else I might want to say in a few minutes' time. Hi, it's Helen Oakwater and I'm absolutely delighted to be here with the wonderful Robert <laughs> Diltz, um, one of the developers of NLP, author of countless books. I only brought one of the ones that I have, coach mentor to Google, Apple, <laughs> the whole caboodle. If there is a guru and god of, of NLP, this is the man. This is the man. So um, Robert has agreed to come and talk about logical levels, which he created on the – you can explain, Gregory Beckley. Okay. We're going to keep it less than 15 minutes and look at logical levels and then what does trauma do to logical levels? So let's, yeah, let's first, Stop. if we just start with the, the levels, and, and Helen has made an artistic oh, drawing. Rubbish, rubbish drawing, <laughs> yeah. Beyond identity at the top is in Robert's hands. The rest of the rubbish writing is mine. But but uh, this is kind of gives an, an overview of this, this notion of different levels, uh, as, as Helen was saying, that it's really sort of inspired by the work of Gregory Bateson, was an anthropologist, um, but also one of the major founders of modern systems theory. And he had a concept and different levels of learning. Different levels of change, of, different levels, levels of, of learning. learning. And yeah. this, these levels, he, he called it learning one and two and three, which was kind of vague. It was kind of difficult to track. So what I was doing is saying, well, what does he mean by learning one, learning two? So. So basically what he was saying is that, okay, we know that we, we sort of concretely live in an environment. So, you know, here we are in this room, you know, with these constraints, you know, uh, with, the, you know, this, the sound that's here, you know, and then all the activities that happen in our environment. Mm -hmm. So we say that relates to, well, where and when. It's the most concrete part of our experience, right? You can, we, the reason you can see this on the video is that it's, you know, it's, we're in a concrete environment. Um, but, you know, when we learn, we learn to do something in that environment or change our behavior in that environment. So our environment, we know, you know shapes what we do. And mm -hmm. so we say that's the what, this behavior level. Yeah. Now, interesting thing is our behavior is not only shaped by 
by our behavior. The reason that we're having this conversation is not simply reacting to this environment. It's because there is something inside of us that we want to share and comment on. And yeah. so that has to do with what we call the sort of levels of, of skills and capabilities. Another way to describe that would be it's kind of the mental model, the mental map that we are working from. So you know, this is a mental map, logical levels. Yeah. And so we're bringing it through our behavior into this environment. Mm -hmm. So right now, I mean, we are acting and interacting, and, yeah. but how do we know what to do? This is this idea, how do we know? It's because, okay, there's some kind of understanding, there's some kind of skill. And I would say the skills are not only cognitive, there's also an emotional and somatic process and a somatic, yeah. I mean, in neuro-linguistic programming, we say there's a whole neuro Absolutely. part of that. The whole body connection. And that, yeah. of course, that is shaped partially by what happens in our ongoing environment, but also our our memories of our past. Yeah. So this level starts to incorporate memory and what we've learned from our history. Now, this, we say the next level here is values and beliefs, which is, it is part of our inner programming, you can say, but it's a different level than how we do something or, you know, what we've learned. It's it's a level of motivation. Yeah. You know, we say it's about why. why? And what, this, what's important. And what's us. important to us. And yeah. what we believe, this is the interesting thing, if something happens in my environment here, what do I believe that's going to lead to? What do I believe that that's coming from? What do I believe it means? And this is very different than having some kind of a, an understanding, a, a cognitive understanding. It's really, you know, uh, th there's a lot of, it, it's and it's more than just thinking. There's an emotion with it. Mm -hmm. There is a whole sense of um, uh, it's a whole feeling level, and literally, literally is related to a different part of the brain than our sort of higher understanding. Mm -hmm. And so we would say this, this, and we say values and beliefs because it's all about what's important to us. Our, our beliefs relate to our values. I say, well, I believe this is going to be, you know, I, I believe this is going to happen, and, and maybe that makes me feel unsafe, or I believe this is going to create that, and that's what I, I have a, a, a sense of, you know, satisfaction or joy from that. So beliefs and values are really highly connected. And then there's this level of identity, which is who believes, right? Who knows, who does, you know, who experiences. And that is actually something that's beyond our belief, right? That is sort of this, we say that's the deepest level, the sense of identity, who I am, what, you know, what am I about in this world? And then we often say that given the sense of identity, you know, certainly our beliefs can shape our identity, but our identity also shapes our beliefs. You know, if I am a strong, if I believe I am a strong, healthy, resilient person, then I'm going to believe that I can get through certain things. I can transform things. I'm going to learn some things more easily than others. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do things that are differently than if I believe that on an identity level, I'm a victim. I am I'm helpless. Bad. I'm bad. I'm bad. I, you know, I don't deserve things. So, so this sort of identity level is very key in shaping what our beliefs end up being, which and which beliefs we keep, which ones we form, etc. Now we say there is a level beyond identity, and this is a very profound level um, because this is this idea that we are also part of something bigger than ourselves. I mean, we know, okay, I'm, I, I am me, I am an independent person, but I'm part of a family. 
that's a very key place of you know something bigger than me to which i belong i can also be part of a community a profession i can be you know some people have this very strong sense of being part of something beyond their own identity it's you know i'm part of a planet i'm part of the human race i'm part of you know something much bigger this is often the foundation of what people would call it a spiritual experience and by spiritual we don't necessarily mean religion although religions tend to be based on spiritual experiences religions tend to actually be more of belief systems so now what happens is of course our reality is made up of all of those different levels yeah so i'm in an environment maybe something happens that triggers a belief of what i think might happen that determines how i act or what i'm thinking um and uh, what we find is that uh, by being able to sort of get that sense these these each of these levels can be both a resource right i can get support from my environment i can do things that that bring me greater sense of resourcefulness the way i use my body the way i use my posture there's many many ways in which our behavior is either going to um, be a resource be, for us be useful or be a limitation yeah so you can have limiting environments you can have you know limiting behaviors what you know you would call addictions or phobias and things like this but those are often going to be connected also to ways of thinking so my way of thinking can either be resourceful i can be creative or it can be limiting yeah i can hold myself back i can keep myself down same with these beliefs you know why i do things my mo my when the if idea of these levels by the way and i think maybe it's important to suggest here is that each level in some ways it's less concrete right my belief is it's i can't see it i can't touch it uh, it's not as concrete as my environment, but it actually has sort of more impact on my behavior than even my environment does. Yeah. And we know that because two people can be in exactly the same environment. It can be a, a, a very supportive environment or it can be a very dangerous environment and they react completely differently. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that maps across to the my world of yeah. in traumatized children exactly. and the, the I am bad at yeah. that level. Yeah. What then falls out from that? Yeah, because what happens is when, like we say, if, if I have an identity that I am bad, I am going to be much more prone to hold certain kinds of limiting beliefs. I mean, even, even the statement I am bad is already kind of a belief, but it's a belief that is reflecting. I mean, it's, it's a verbal statement of something that you're experiencing inside that is not the belief, right? It's some sense of a... Um, something fundamentally wrong inside absolutely and then and that forms these beliefs and then these beliefs say well okay so if i'm bad i can't do this i shouldn't do that i am going to do this so, you know this i will you know i'm, I'm going to be this way you know in these situations throughout my life and then that determines what we do and what feedback we get from the environment absolutely and i remember sitting in my first morning of nlp training and having this model presented mm -hmm. this this very model and realizing that beliefs drive behavior yeah. and i just sat back and went yeah. oh my god that's yeah. why this therapy worked you know and the the impact of that on my yeah. on my kids so in the last couple of minutes can yeah. you just let us know how and this is my <laughs> yeah. this is my metaphorical yeah. <laughs> shrapnel for it, trauma yeah. what happens yeah. when trauma impacts 
logical level. And you've got approximately two minutes to explain that. <laughs> okay. I just, you know, just well, obviously, trauma, trauma starts here, right? It's something happens in my environment to me. Um, and like my earring falling off. Yes. <laughs> and then <laughs> that begins to shape, okay, that, that makes an impact on how, I'm, how I look at the world. That makes an impact on what I, what I believe. That will even make an impact all the way up here to, you know, who I am and even, what, you know, what's my place in the world. Once this is the whole idea of neuro-linguistic programming there, especially as a child, you're forming a lot of let's use an analogy to a computer. You're forming a lot of your basic, basic programming. programming and that programming, you know, the early programming, of course, determines it's, it's going to influence what is possible to add to it, etc. So in this, you might even say it's kind of like what they call the, the operating system. And an identity especially relates to what you would call your operating system. Yeah. So as a young child, you don't have many, you know, you're not born with beliefs. You're not born with a lot of capabilities. I mean, you have some, some inborn things. But most of this is being shaped, especially, they say, you know, the first four to six years of your life. That's developing a lot of this deepest level stuff that then... It can become, it's, it's a lot easier to sort of, let's say, this is what when Basin called learning one, two, three. Yeah. Learning one, okay, I can kind of adapt, once, I can adapt within the box, right? But there's a box there. Yeah. So to try to get out of that box, that's where beliefs come in, right? The belief creates the box. Yeah. And so what we'd say is that very often you're going to have these belief and identity forming experiences. And like I say, it's a little bit like that's writing the operating system. Now, all the other software, okay, I can learn to add and subtract and speak a language, etc. But the deeper stuff, which determines how I feel that I am and what's, you know, what's meaningful, what's important, what I should do, that's all very much already in place. And I remember you saying, um, Master Coach, this is where the magic happens. That's where the magic happens. Because is. that's where the transformation happens. Yeah. And I, I, I think of it as if you change here yeah. and it's like water, it yeah. will just wash down exactly. and it transforms everything else. It does. So if you can change at, and help children of yourself, everyone change at an identity level and change belief, then the skills and behaviors will fall out from it. And if you don't, the metaphor I use, like trying to change in the skills and behaviors would be like trying to save the Titanic by rearranging the chairs on the deck, right? It's the wrong, it's the wrong level of change, right? I can rearrange the chairs yeah. all I want. It's not going to change the direction. Absolutely. So this is about so this, the direction. This is where the direction is. Okay, we are going to pause here for a minute and come back with some other tools relating to this. Thanks. I think we have to do don't oh. end. Thank you. And so, Hi, we're back. Um, we're back. We're back. <laughs> um, and I'm delighted again to be continuing um, talking about logical levels with Robert Diltz. If you're switching on for this for the first time, go back and watch the <laughs> logical levels being explained before you come into this section. It'll make more, this section it, will make more sense. Absolutely. Now. This was one of the books that absolutely blew me away in my understanding about parenting, about oh, so many things. And so this is one of Robert's books, and I have to say it's one of my favorites. Um, Robert, will you please, we forgot to add actually the 
the line at the top, which was which was saying this is how you support. So we logical levels, yeah. and so we'll add. Support. As you can tell, it's live. Yes, which is our Facebook support live. Yeah. Facebook live, and so so we in the in the previous uh, you know uh, session we were talking about the different levels. Okay, so you have environment and the influence of the environment. You have behavior and the influence on you of your behavior and other people's behavior. You have skills and capabilities which you learn as a result of you know shaping from your environment and your behavior. Then you have these beliefs and values. We said this is about the why, the how, the what, the where, the when. And then so, so these are the kind of levels of change and levels of learning. We were talking about especially this notion of identity. identity. And my sense of my own identity, because, you know, again, in any of these other levels, you can say, I believe, I understand, I learn, I do, I experience, right? But there's an I who is the thing that organizes that all. And that I, if you shift the I, we're saying everything else is going to have to adjust. Now, the I is also part of something bigger than the I, and that's also going to be a very important resource when we talk about supporting people and change. And it's what the, you know, this book, Coach to Awakener, is about. That we say when, when we are really uh, helping people to change their behavior, we, we say here, just the support of these different levels, what this book is about is that there are different tools and different qualities of relationship necessary to support change on these different levels. So from an environment level, if we're helping somebody to, to change, to heal, to transform something, we're basically kind of trying to create an environment that supports them. So we say that's either a caretaker. So think of somebody who has some kind of an addiction problem. One of the very first things that they will do is take that person out of the toxic you know, uh, environment, yeah. bring them into a clinic or something where everything is controlled. And that's what we call a caretaker. So they, and there's creating an environment that helps to support this person to detox or to clear up. We, we also say there's guiding. When we talk about guiding, we mean um, I can tell somebody where to go. I, you know, it's, it's like if I go to a new city, I'm gonna, I, I get a guide. Here's my guide. It's showing me if I want to do this, where to go. But it's not really helping me get there. Right? The guide, the guidebook, for example, is not helping me get there. Or a guide, yeah. guide can show you around, but it doesn't tell you how to adapt, what to do. And that's why we really say it starts from coaching. And now coaching, we say, it's not limited to behavior. Uh, uh, an excellent coach well, is going to we'll go all the all way, the way up, up, but it starts yeah. here. Yeah. And and the word coaching even started with yeah. athletics. Yeah, and, and baseball and old basketball. And, whatever, or, or you have a singing coaching. coach or a voice coach. Yeah. It's really Just targeted towards... The, what you can see, what, yeah. what you observe and in somebody doing. And instead of guiding or caretaking, it's about giving feedback and giving encouragement around these behaviors. You're reinforcing, you know, behaviors. That's what Gregory Bateson called learning one, right? Okay. Gregory Bateson. Yeah. Then what we say, okay, as we were pointing out before, that really for somebody, if, if they're going to take what they've learned beyond your coaching, They've got to take it inside of them, right? They have to have learned something for themselves. Uh, they've left have developed a capability or a skill or some kind of a mental map or mental model that guides their own behavior. So instead of you guiding it, the whole idea of, of coaching is that somebody eventually learns how to do it on their own. 
Now, we say a teacher is then somebody who also helps people get clearer. I mean, right now, you would, I would say we're essentially teaching, right? Here's a model. We're explaining it. it hopefully, it's something that you, could, you learn. It will help to you know, learn new behaviors, etc. Now, what, what we were pointing out before is that at an even higher level, Again, somebody could know how to do know how to do something, but never do it because they don't want to, they, or they don't believe it's going to make any difference. Yeah. Or they don't believe they could. They, they don't can. believe they can. Yeah. They're not allowed. They don't have yeah. the permission, or they don't have the capability. They're not worthy. Yeah, exactly. So these beliefs, well, we say they're kind of the doorway. They open the close the door to the use of these capabilities. Now, to to help somebody learn beliefs or change beliefs, you can't just teach them. Um, I like to say when you try to teach beliefs that you basically are a preacher <laughs> and it works about that as well. Everybody goes, yeah, yeah I know yeah, better. Yeah. I know what I should do, but it doesn't make any difference. So mentoring is more of a, uh, of an advisor, somebody who listens more deeply for why, what's important to you. And then they are also a, an advisor and a role model. So mentors have to, as, as, as Gandhi famously said, you have to be the change that you are trying to bring. Um, so again, I think when, you, when we think about um, parents, when we think about people who are working with traumatized people, yes, there, there are behaviors you're going to coach. There are things that you're going to teach them. But there's also the place where you've got to mentor them. A, a teacher explains, a mentor listens, and they listen deeply. Yeah. And then they and they're going to be more asking questions than giving information. Now, then we, we we're really emphasizing, I think, the importance of, of working with trauma of identity, because usually the biggest scar that trauma leaves, if, especially if it leads to what's called post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic trauma, it's because something has happened on an identity level. And that means that the person has taken something, uh, uh, we, we might say they've even identified with it. If somebody treats me badly, it must mean I'm a bad person. If somebody treats me uh, or, or doesn't, how would we say, does not respect me, then I'm a worthless person, yeah. right? So very often this, and that, this that level. And shattering. Exactly. Of the, of the identity. Think about this. I like to think of this identity is the container for everything else. If I shatter that container, Everything else falls out. Yeah. And and if that is not created appropriately yeah. in early infancy and early childhood. This is a life. This is why yeah. this is why I wanted to do this right. with you, because for me, this explains so yes. much. And and to heal that, we say you can't even just be a role model. You've got to go even deeper. You can't even just listen. You're you're going even deeper. Um, this notion of sponsorship, it, it's the same root as responsibility, right? Respons if I'm taking responsibility, it means I deeply care. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about sponsoring, it's that I am not even looking, I'm, I'm looking beyond the behavior. I'm looking beyond the way the person thinks. I'm looking beyond their beliefs and their belief system. I'm really looking to the essence of that individual, even beyond the wound, right? There is what we're going to be suggesting is that at a deepest identity level, there's a place in a person that is unwounded and unwoundable. And when we can get access to that, that's where the healing starts. The, the, the gold, the diamond yeah. inside. But, but before you do that, all, uh, trying to change the belief, trying to change the way they're thinking, it's all right. still going to be. Just, it's, it's, it's just, and, and I'm thinking, uh, stick.
sticker charts. Yeah. That's what behavior. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sticker charts are really going to work yeah. with trauma. And that up yeah. there. And I think that's true for children and, and for adults. I mean, I remember Absolutely. I you have sponsored me. You have stood in front of me and we've talked and I have felt seen mm -hmm. and heard in a way that was yes it was unique yeah. and it was a massively memorable experience mm -hmm. and it was very special and it was about that identity sponsorship yeah and being seen that in entirety in entirety in entirety it's not just see my see yeah. my masks not see my makeup the, my see my mask, clothes my, my thoughts, background my bullshit my yeah. it's the whole yeah and and almost the the gloriousness that is behind right. all the bullshit basically yeah, and all the exactly. and all the front that's there partly consciously and partly unconsciously so yeah. that this is such a big i think this is deal. this is the essence you know it's, it's actually interesting and and this by the way also relates to in some ways now relates to this next part of um awakening because when that part is seen, right, when that light is seen, then something begins to awaken that takes us even beyond ourselves, right, beyond the trauma. And that's what this notion of awakening is. It's even that, that something that, that my identity is part of something even bigger than me. I have a place I have because I have something to contribute. Um, by the way, I like one of my favorite ways of expressing sponsorship is um, the, the Albert Camus, the philosopher, said, you know, until a person has been seen and blessed by another person, they don't yet fully exist. And I think our job as as trainer, uh, sorry, as parents, well, as trainers, but also parents, as caretakers, as healers, is to see and bless that deep essence. Absolutely. And one of the things I talk about about with children who are neglected, if you've not been seen do you even exist exactly um and i'm going to hold up a page yes. from coach to awakener about that sponsorship talks, that talks about sponsorship, sponsorship yeah. and negative sponsorship and when i first came across this i thought it was magnificent yeah now that's given you a put you were able to pause the video then and have a look at that <laughs> but buy the book honestly it's really <laughs> worth it but that's that sense of i mean for example here you are seen yeah really you are non-sponsorship you're not seen negative you don't, sponsorship, you don't exist you should you should you not, should not be exist. here right. now think of the number of traumatized children who are being neglected they shouldn't exist or the child who has an alcoholic father yeah. or a violent father who says you shouldn't be here, you yeah. little right, and that is right. you should not be. Who here. do you think you are? You're <laughs> nothing. You you, yeah. yeah, and and I mean, then and of course the following through. If I'm if I'm hurt, and again I'm bad. If I'm bad, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve to be. I actually what I do deserve is to be punished. I do. I deserve to be gotten rid of. I deserve to be you know imprisoned in some Absolutely. way. Absolutely, and that makes sense of why traumatized children sabotage because at a belief level they don't think they're worth no. it, and therefore their behavior. Well, I'm stuff. Good stuff's happening. I'm not worth it. So they but will. No, and and not only that, if you try to do this, is the interesting thing about like about what I see in a lot of trauma is that then even if you're if somebody tries to support you you're rejecting it Absolutely. because deep inside you I mean they often talk about the notion of an imposter syndrome right mm -hmm. I, if i don't if i really inside don't believe i deserve it getting it is actually not a good thing it's a bad thing yeah. 
And, and certainly whatever I get is going to be, I'm going to lose right away because I don't deserve it. Uh, and, and this is why you see the sabotage. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's so, um, it's so fundamental. Now that this last part about the awakening, I think this is also can be important. I, I was reading a statistic where they said, you know, um, uh, people that have truly uh, not, not, not parental trauma as a child, but people have experienced very traumatic things from war or automobile accidents and other things. Only, only about 25% actually end up with post-traumatic stress. And one of the, they were looking at what's the difference. And what they found was that people who were, uh, people who isolated themselves, who became isolated, would be the ones that, that get the post-traumatic stress. Ones that are actually brought into a community and supported social by engagement, social engagement, social engagement, poly, polyvagal theory, yeah, vagal nerve, and, all and of that. So this is that notion of when I'm part of something bigger than me, then I can also receive. Yeah. But what happens again, and you see this, you know, in the U.S., there was just this uh, uh, somebody in, um, oh, I forget what, which state it was. Anyway, just a, a 17-year-old goes into school, kills 10 students and 10 others. And what do they say about this person? Was isolated, you know, was alone. I mean, was not part of, it was not part of something bigger than himself, wanted to commit suicide. Like, yeah. I don't belong here. I, you know, this is not my place. And we just see, for me, it's, it's so astonishing that it, we don't see the incredible importance of this notion of sponsorship. And yeah. um, absolutely. And I, your concept, um, the limiting beliefs of helplessness, mm -hmm. hopelessness, worthlessness, worthlessness, and I've seen those pervade through yeah. and fitting you know, seeing all this yeah. fitting in together. And you've talked about post-traumatic stress. Yeah. With, with children, we may not get that diagnosis of PTSD, but what they have is developmental trauma. trauma. Exactly. So that is, is even deeper. Is even deeper. Um, and so all, I hope you see how all this sort of links together. And the good news is, the good news is, is the good that, news. There are, <laughs> that there are tools that can help you to trans, not, you know, transform the beliefs and go all the way up to really starting with this identity level, the identity and beyond. And for me, I think this, hearing you speak and you are, you know, you are about to go and stand on a platform in front of a, a huge number of people, which, you know, in yesterday, I don't know how many you had in the audience yesterday. Was 300 it? plus. Oh, I felt like a lot more. But Robert travels the world and is, you know, he is an astonishing man and he wants to create a world to which people wish to belong and when i heard him say that the first time i just um which i think you've seen me do a fair few times over the years um but i think you can see why for me as an adoptive parent i walked into the world of nlp from the world of traumatized children and went oh my god here are answers here's a roadmap here is a roadmap and on that note you get the chance to see this man live. You just have to do it. So from at the bottom of my heart, from my beyond identity and elsewhere, Robert, thank you so You're much. You're very, very welcome. Thank you. We share that common mission. We, we Starting do. with, and it starts with families, families to which people, I say, to which they want to belong and to which they can, they can thrive, in which they can thrive and to which they can contribute. Yeah. And, and I just, I personally... There are times when Robert has been there for me 
physically you know we've been in a room and he has been there and as a mentor and a support and he has also done it on countless times when he's we've not even been on the same continent because he lives in my head which by the way is the cool thing about positive sponsorship because when it's imprinted it that's the other side it lasts it lasts absolutely a long time you, you don't again the problem with coaching is you have the coach has to be there yeah once it gets all the way up to here now it's part of your opera. i mean how how wonderful having him living in my head as opposed to something <laughs> less useful. Sponsors. So think about how that maps across to your life and to the life of your children. Thank you very much for watching. Take good care. Bye. And we have to do one more.